0: Welcome back to another episode of Invasion of the Potty, people. So today we're going to talk about some extreme cinema. We are going to talk about limits. We're going to talk about the nastier side of cinema. And, I mean, I think we should say heads up. There should be a content warning for this episode. It's going to plunge into some dark stuff. There'll be discussions of some of the um, strongest cinema, some of the strongest horrors out there. There will be potentially discussions of, well, there'll be a lot of discussions about violence, potentially discussions of rape, because certain films cover that, of sexual violence. And so, yeah, if if you feel, listen, that you're not up for this, we completely understand if you want to check out at this point, and we'll see you again soon. But if you want to stay with us, we're going to go a jaunt through a remake that may or may not be exciting us, a, a new sequel to a franchise that I think some of us really dug. And then we'll be talking about Our own personal extremities, our own personal, what is our like point that's too far in the cinema. Um, But before we do that, I am, as always, and I'll give a brief pause for those who want to stop. If you've stayed with us, thank you for staying with us and we understand and will approach this topic as delicately as we can. Uh, I am Russell. I wrangle this podcast into shape every single month and I think I'm becoming a bit of a kitten when it comes to the extreme side of horror which we'll get into we also have vincent vincent who are you vincent's with the maggots now
1: but despite being with the maggots i am indeed here and i do do, do declare there may also be another malevolent entity nearby
2: Hello there. My name is James Rodriguez and I'll swallow your soul, swallow your soul.
1: Well, we've lightened the mood, I think, <laughs> fairly well. <laughs> yeah, we
0: might get back to some of these like strange entities soon. But before we do, Vincent, there's a film that we discussed uh, a fair amount last year. I think it came up two or three times in two or three episodes that might be being talked about again soon. What's
1: happening with Speak No Evil? Well, Speak No Evil um, for those who um, maybe need the reminder was a Dutch Danish film released towards the end of 2022, which had a lot of people, which made a lot of people uncomfortable in all of the best ways. Um, we we talked about it at length, particularly in our review of the year, as it was one of my personal top ten films of 2022. And in the great tradition of Um, effective international cinema, there's an English language remake on the way. Details of this were only announced quite recently. (coughs) The remake was announced on the 17th of April with James Watkins to direct, Blumhouse to produce, and James McAvoy to star. And on the 24th of April, the co-star Mackenzie Davis was announced. And the film is currently in pre production and scheduled for release in August 2024. Now, the history of remakes of English language remakes of non English language films is a checkered one. Some are well received, like The Departed, others are less well received, like Old Boy. Back on the extreme stuff, aren't we? Now, I think that in the case of Speak No Evil, there's a lot of interesting possibilities um, that speak to it. And I have my own views on it and about where I think it could go. Um, But I'd like to, first of all, hear what my fellow poddy people think about this. James, what are your thoughts on the potential of this remake?
2: Well, this is something which I feel like the pieces are promising. It's like, Blumhouse are doing it, and they're not exactly ones for toothless horror films. I mean, one of their less popular films, but really, really dark, was last year's Soft and Quiet, which was an intense film, and it stars James McAvoy. He's a capable actor who I quite like. But when I hear Speak No Evil's getting an English-language remake... My mind just goes to the ending, which if anyone has seen it, oh, you won't forget it. And it's just something which I struggled to see an American studio delivering, particularly of the magnitude of what we saw in uh, in the original film. It's, I mean, James Watkins, as you said, is directing, and he previously gave us the uncomfortable Eden Lake and that ending is certainly a memorable one so i hope i'm wrong i hope this i hope this pleasantly surprises me and leaves me feeling traumatized by the end uh but i i must say that i am trepidatious because history has not been kind particularly to remakes of english of non-english language films um russell what are your thoughts on this news uh i approach with trepidation
0: too because i haven't seen the remake of martyrs but it it doesn't have a reputation of being uh, able to capture the um what what is martyrs martyrs is probably the strongest film i've ever seen and we'll get into that but i mean james watkins is um a very capable director at doing extreme cinema. Eden Lake is one of the most, uh, most abrasively downbeat films I've seen ever. And I've watched it twice for my sins. And uh, it captures a sudden mood and moment. And maybe we're going back to that. How way well, could be more this if it if, was, if this was a sequel to speak no evil, like if it was a continuation, because to oh. not spoil speak no evil, there is a degree to the ending where you can continue the story. And it can be almost a repetition of that story and select as a sequel. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember if Blumhouse were involved in Firestarter, which is probably... Yes. Yes, which is not a great remake or adaptation. And I, I kind of feel the remakes that work are the ones that give time. So the ones that there is a long enough gap. My biggest concern with this is that Speak No Evil came out last year and this will come out probably next year. So it will have been like a year and a half, two year gap. And that fills... Like it feels like a remake for the wrong reasons. I one of my my favorite horror, one of my favorite films is a remake. I have seen numerous remakes that work, that are effective, that are interesting, but it tends to be if you give time to the material to then come back and do it in a different context. I don't think there's a particularly different context here. Um, and my concern, I guess, would be that it would trip into what the hostile films do a lot of which is a uh xenophobia towards europeans like if, if it is still that it's about a couple going to a european country and the sort of culture clash is part of the horror i'm just concerned that it will just become like oh those wacky europeans kind of those kind of films a national lampoon vacation with you know more unmitigatingly unpleasant exchanges um i don't need any more speak no evil the film was an unpleasant viewing experience for me that i admire without ever really wanting to get back involved in that and i don't think you could it would work if you were to soften it enough to make it kind of a 15 oh yeah make it for a broad audience. But yeah, I'm always intrigued with what a film is doing. Uh James Watkins can direct uh James McAvoy. He's a fantastic actor with the right material. And I forget who was announced. Someone who I like Mackenzie Davis. That? Yes. And Mackenzie Davis has made some great films and has been great in some mediocre films. So there is talent here. It's just I'm a little bit like culturally can they get to the point they need to get to with a speaking of evil remake and do i really want this because probably not i probably don't i probably won't go to the cinema to watch this because i'm a bit like well the screen River was it was was a lot
1: <laughs> so okay. Vincent, as,
0: as the person who's like have put in their top 10 films of last year do you
1: embrace this remake or do you have a different view i do embrace it and i'll tell you why um something that um uh, reasons that both of you have already mentioned <laughs> Um. Yeah, James Watkins, you know, is, is director, and I, like you, uh, but well, both of you, I found Eden Lake an incredibly uncomfortable watch. More on that later. Um. Similarly, Blumhouse, I think, is quite promising because Blumhouse have the reputation for uh, giving directors free reign. Um. So long as the director brings it in on budget, then 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 Blumhouse does not tend to interfere. So in that respect, I think uh, Watkins will have the potential to do what he does. And let's not forget, he also directed The Woman in Black, uh, which is, but the 2012 version, a very effective um, ghost story chiller that manages to actually work for a, well, managed in the UK to get a 12 A certificate while just still being top end. And I wouldn't consider that film to be softened. So I have faith that this film will be appropriately horrible. What I am intrigued by the most, though, what gives me and what makes me think there's a lot of potential here relates to what you said, Russell, about context and specifically setting. Where is this film going to be set? Now, the casting of McAvoy and Davis, for that matter, could suggest a British setting or indeed American. Um, he's a, you know, McAvoy is Scottish, um, but he's often played Americans as often as he does English. Um, Now, I think if it was set in the United States, this could work and it could lean into a folk horror aspect. There are plenty of places in America that have been used for presenting depravity and cruel behavior. Plus, they are also remote. And there's often, I think, a friendliness displayed in on-screen Americans that could make the hospitality feel more natural. For those unfamiliar with the setup in Speak No Evil, the way it is in the original film is a Danish couple on holiday in uh, Tuscany in Italy meet a Dutch couple, and the Dutch couple subsequently invite the Danish couple to come and stay with them um, in the Netherlands, and they accept this invitation, at which point many of us could check out and say, nope, wouldn't do that. That was a big mistake. But I think that the the greater openness that often gets displayed in at least movie Americans um, could make that feel a bit more natural. And therefore, there's also a certain amount of bravado that is in the European original, and that bravado could be used as well, which would make sense. And it occurs to me that one interesting route the film could take is to be more overtly satirical. I mean, just imagine, right? How fun would it be if the family that are victimised are gun-toting Republicans who are so overconfident they don't realise the peril they are in. So I think that is potential. If, however, it was set in Britain, or with the with British family being one of the ones involved, that I think would be harder because we Brits are so standoffish, I think there'd be a lot of work involved to make some Brits look like they would go and spend time with random Europeans, especially post-Brexit. But here's another thing I think would be fascinating from a post-colonial perspective if this was with an English family and an Irish family. Think about this, right? An English family are on holiday, possibly in Northern Ireland, and they meet another family who are from Eyre, the Republic of Ireland. They receive an invitation and accept it because of their English arrogance, entitlement, and derision towards the irish and then they end up getting seriously fucked up because of colonialist attitudes or and i'm clearly blumhouse should hire me to spitball ideas for them put me in the writers room flip it around and have an english family invite an irish family and turn it into a sort of get out situation where the english want to put the irish in the place they believe they should be in um, of being unable to speak Now, just to go back, uh, echo back to something you were saying, Russell, both these options do have any version of this story has the potential to do some unfortunate stereotyping. And that might actually be present in the original that, you know, not being Dutch or Danish, we are not aware of. But I think these different ideas that I've got anyway, demonstrates that there is a lot of potential for this remake because the premise is very rich. This. Uh, I think that there's great potential here, and I do have faith that James Watkins will do a decent job. So you know, James, not Rodriguez, Mr. Watkins, don't fuck it up, please. Those are my thoughts on it, and I guess hopefully we'll find out in uh, August of 2024. I want a toast to Italy, of course, to the food, of course, and to love. Dear
0: Louisa Bjorn and Aunus, how are you? We were just talking the other day how nice it was spending time with you this summer. We would love to invite you to come
2: to visit us.
0: Yeah, we'll keep an eye on this one, see how it develops, see if it can stick the landing.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. speaking of um having some being around people that you that are maybe a bit unnerving and you don't necessarily want to be there whether that's in a remote location or possibly in a fl- in a flat where you're stuck james what's a new release at the moment so i don't know if
2: anyone's paid attention to cinemas but we have a new evil dead film out entitled evil dead rise now it's the latest of this franchise which began in 1981 as The Evil Dead was a passionate work from some some scrappy kids you may have heard of. Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, maybe it rings a bell? I don't know. Anyway, the film begun their careers. It perfected the Cabin in the Woods trope, which many films afterwards would utilise. And it was notable in the UK for being one of many films banned under the Video Nasties Act. And what followed that, we had one of the greatest sequels of all time, an ambitious Medieval Times set sequel, many comic books, video games, and even a stage musical. The Evil Dead was full of cult hits, and the films uh, garnered audiences on home video releases rather than in box office receipts. But things truly changed in 2013 when the film burst into the mainstream with Fede Alvarez's reimagining, which was, I believe, the... the first Evil Dead since the original to make to make what's considered a profit rather than just enough. And what followed that was also a three-season TV show on Stars called Ash vs. Evil Dead. And now, after all that time, we have a new feature film released, which, funnily enough, originally planned, originally was going to release on HBO Max until positive test screenings resulted in Warner Bros. deciding to give it a theatrical release. And so what we have is writer-director Lee Cronin tells this story, which escapes the usually-seen cabin in the woods to unfold within a condemned Los Angeles apartment complex. What you got is a gu- guitar technician, Beth, visits her sister, Ellie, who's a single mother to three children. And the sisters have to contend with how they've lost contact and the personal issues which is arising as they try reconnecting after all this time. All that is thrown aside when, of all things, a book of the dead is discovered, and then from what that from what happens on there, you have a white knuckled, grisly ride with deadite brutality on show, with such gleeful sadism that's phenomenally conveyed, particularly through an unsettling joker like grin, Alyssa Sutherland plasters on her face for much of this film. And what you have is Cronin recapturing the feel of Sam Raimi's film from You've Got the Opening, which homages the first-person perspective of an unseen monster gliding through at quite a speed. But also Cronin makes his own stamp rather than just doing a tribute act because you also have this effective bloodbath which is witnessed through a peephole. And what you have is this tale viscerally brought alive with... Practical effects, got to love them. you got tremendous performances. And for me, this makes up a fantastic way to honour the franchise's past while taking a chainsaw and carving a gruesome path to the future. I love the Evil Dead franchise and I love this film. Now, Russell, I'm curious and Vincent, I'm also curious. What did you think of this film and what is your history with this franchise?
0: Um, my history first. So, I have seen all the films, I haven't seen the TV show To My Sins, and I can't. I think the first two in particular were films that I came to when I was a teenager, they had a reputation that preceded them. And I saw Army of the Darkness later, actually after the remake. And I had seen the remake. I think that Evil Ted 2 is one of the greatest sequels ever made, and I think that there's not a bad film in the bunch. I still don't think it's a bad film in the bunch. Uh, I went into Evil Dead Rise with a lot of um, hype. This has been traded for a lot. The Treader is fantastic. The idea is a great one to remove it from the cabin in the woods and take it to a high rise. There's a lot of potential in the high rise setting. And um, I just like this. I don't love this film. I have to be honest. Like, um, I think there are some great character setups. I think there's some great acting here. I think it's bloody and viscerally impressive and a bit one note. I kind of sent you both a cryptic text when I said this, which was like, if, if a film is one note, but plays that note beautifully throughout, is that a problem? And that's my thing with this. I think that it is wonderfully doing what it's doing, but that it feels like by about 45 minutes and I was a bit like, yes. And with it, um, I, I, got a feel of the fact it was a straight to streaming release originally in that it's contained still that it doesn't really expand enough out into its setting for my tastes and um my final comment is that i i I like the evil dead i love evil dead too and i've never quite understood why certainly for the films it gets a bit stuck with um, being sequels to the Evil Dead as opposed to a sequel to Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 is funny and silly and goofy and violent and scary, but funny. It's like a Looney Tunes warped to the extreme. And that's kind of what I wanted a bit more from this. I kind of wanted it to be a bit goofier. It's a bit, this is quite a nasty film. And I think it's because I like the characters. I'm a bit like these characters go through horrid things. I don't know if I think is justified for them their sins like the curiosity of going in a hole to get the book i don't think should be punished with some very very horrid deaths but no i still think this is a good film i still think it is like a really fun time in the cinema and i want to watch it again now that i know what it is now that i know what evil dead rise is um and i think i'm in the minority and being a bit soft in this film i think a lot more people are like this is my jam i think they're a lot more like you james uh, vincent i am gonna guess that you are more with james
1: yeah, I'd say so. Um, I think I liked it. I, I, my, my history with the um, franchise is a bit of a weird one. I, I realize, as is often the case with sort of horror classics, I came to this relatively late. Um, I only, I think, I saw the original Evil Dead when I was probably around my late twenties, um, and then I saw the Evil, and then I saw Evil Dead Two a few years after that, and it's only been in the last few days that I've completed the franchise. So I watched. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday. I watched Army of Darkness on Sunday, 2013. Evil Dead on Monday, and Evil Dead Rise on Tuesday. It's been a fun few evenings, I can tell you. Um, I think that it's a, you know, it's a patchy franchise overall. I think some episodes are stronger than others. Um, I do think um, Evil Dead Two is um, a brilliant balance of comedy and horror. Um, and demonstrates just how brilliant a physical performer Bruce Campbell is. Um, I found I, I, when I was watching Army of Darkness, Russell, I absolutely saw it in the way you described. It was kind of like live action Looney Tunes. Um, and then I found the 2013 film was, you know, properly nasty and pretty bleak as well, which I appreciated. You know, I do I do like a bleak um, horror film. And as for Evil Dead Rise, uh, I thought it was a ferocious, frothing, furious frenzy uh, of gore, <laughs> of possession and of family coming together and violently apart. Um, yeah, it. I think it does a great job of uh, taking us away from the cabin in the woods setting, although not immediately, um, using an apartment in a high rise building like that as the setting, I think, actually works really well. Um there have been plenty of apartment horrors over the years, like Rosemary's Baby, um, Veronica, to suggest two from 40 years apart, and plenty of others in between. So um I, I do actually though agree with you, Russell, that it the the punishment doesn't seem proportionate to the crime. Um having said that, I think that's kind of the point. I don't yeah. see the horror that is inflicted upon this family by the by the deadites and the evil the demonicism um, demonicism sure <laughs> that comes from the book of the dead as being punishment for anything it's evil it's being cruel it's being nasty as is most of the things we're talking about this episode <laughs> um it that's what it is and of course one of the ways of describing evil is as it is something empty it, it, evil is the absence of empathy, and it is all, and there's also a sense of, I guess, kind of a hunger. Um, it's interesting that the, I have heard the Evil Dead, particularly the first and second, described in relation to zombies, and I understand that. However, it, m- many parts of both the 2013 version and Evil Dead Rise remind me a lot of the exorcist, mm. um, in that mm-hmm. you've got people who are being possessed by demons, Hello, and they are undergoing significant physical transformations. Um, But I will say, yeah, overall, I was, um, the the bit that I felt what didn't quite work was the the idea of, so how are we going to get the Book of the Dead into the hands of this family? And I think the means by which it gets there are a bit convoluted. I was like, Mm. really? We're going to go to all that trouble? Um, And I feel that part of it could have been more tightly written. Um, however, once we move, once the book is opened and once the characters do the very, well, it does have the thing of horror movie characters doing the very stupid things that we wouldn't do. <laughs> um, but hey, once they do them, off we go. It's happening and it doesn't let up. And it is committed. It is a movie that commits to its nastiness, it commits to its gore. And that's why I call it, the, it's a furious frenzy. Um, and there were plenty of moments in it. That had be wincing and going, that well, that's very horrible. Yeah, it's a film that makes a virtue of its cruelty. Mm. Yeah,
2: I w- I watched this yesterday with my horror loving friend, and we had an interesting discussion. We thought, um, is this in terms of like mainstream horror franchises, which like the ones which go into like big multiplexes and are given wide releases, is this the most extreme horror franchise available in that regard? Because I was thinking, what about Saw? But then I think about how, essentially, Jigsaw's MO is, I want you to bet yourself so you can have come out of this alive and essentially have a new zest on life. Whereas this, what Evil Dead has, the Deadites with massive grins, getting their rocks off on just tormenting and... Savaging the people before they end their lives.
1: in, fact,
0: in terms of the destruction of the body, because mm. a lot of this is about the, the destruction of the body, and in quite an interesting way, I feel that I is accurate. I, um, yeah, I think there's something about Saw. Saw for me has always been a relic of a very specific part of cinema, whereas I think because the evil dead has morphed and now we're at this point where we're so extreme that it can be as it is in this, which is at times fairly extreme, but also kind of so extreme. It's a bit ridiculous in, in a good way. Like, yeah, I, I make it sound like I didn't enjoy this. Film. I did enjoy this film. I just think I kind of wanted it to be a masterpiece and it's just mm. a, a good film. And also any franchise where you're coming up against evil dead Two is just, you're already kind of betting against yourself by having to kind of match it's already a pretty high bar it is indeed um i
1: think it's interesting what you say there about bodies because actually the film does have a you know consistent interest in bodies because as we say there are these two sisters one of them is a tattoo artist and mm -hmm. so there's so her um, livelihood um and her you know her, her form of expression is literally about placing um images upon the body and uh, the other who is a uh, as we say a, gu- a guitar technician has eschewed uh family but it's heavily implied well, actually I think it's clarified that she is mm. pregnant mm. um so there that is a shift a transition of a body in that regard it's doing something different um and then of course there's you know no end of bodily abuse over the course of the film leading up to something that the Evil Dead franchise hasn't done before where it's interesting the sort of points it seems to be taking from other films parts of it kind of like the exorcist parts of it like aliens and an aspect towards the end that is very reminiscent of the thing and that's something and that's again doing something um fascinating with bodies and what i particularly like about it is it was also able to do a lot of um it felt homage without being um unnecessarily referential something that has become as much as the, the necromicon um the book of the dead and a cabin in the woods are iconic aspects icons of the evil dead franchise another one is chainsaws and yes <laughs> the uh, ut- the inco- the inclusion of the chainsaw here much like also in the 2013 version um i think works really well um you know it's a matter of we have a chainsaw and we are going to fucking use this chainsaw <laughs> to well you know you want <laughs> this could have just as easily been called the uh high the high, the high rise massacre the high rise chainsaw massacre <laughs> sorry <laughs> um and that's something which i think it does effectively um out of interest because as we've all got sort of you know varying overall we're kind of positive about it mm. what would, would we like to see more after this because i think i'd like to see this continue
2: i did have a thing about that it's that at this time of recording, it hasn't even been a full week since this film been, has been released. And on a $19 million budget, it's made $44 million worldwide. So mm. I think it's a safe bet we're getting more films. But I found this quote from Bruce Campbell. He said Sam and Ivan Raimi are planning to re- a new release every two to three years. And they're even working on an overall Bible so they can give future writers and directors ideas of like where to take things and how to set it in this established world while doing their own things and my question for you guys was what kind of things would you hope for a future film like where could it be set and what and particularly who do you think could helm it because i had this i i had this realization that this is a premise which could be like the predator series series where it could work at any point in time. It could take place anywhere worldwide. And, I mean, we've had a medieval version come out um, back in 1992. So there's proof that however different it can be, this is something you can do. It doesn't have to be confined to a cabin in the woods. It, whatever present day um, it is. And I just wanted to get
1: your guys' ideas about that. I love that. And now I've got ideas of, you know, predator versus deadites. That would be messy. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. You could set this anywhere. And what's notable is this and the idea of it. what you were just saying about Campbell and the Rameys putting together something along the, the lines that you've just described. It shows that the Evil Dead premise is imminently franchisable. Mm-hmm. Um, so small wonder that it could be done this way. And to have like and maybe this is what you know led to this new version getting greenlit when it was a matter of this isn't exist it it fits into the current production model it's an established ip with a fan base but it's all, but it's being made in such a way that it can work for a new audience um and you can keep going it end the, the, the finale of the film is actually quite open ended and definitely suggests potential to go beyond this and continue whether this means you know we want to br- that we're going to get Bruce Campbell's ash turning up later on, great, that would be fine. However, I don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, there's a lot of potential here. Perhaps this will become like the Planet of the Apes franchise, and it's just going to keep on giving. Yeah, and I'm and I'm here for it. I will I will happily see more Evil Dead movies, and I don't consider myself a huge fan of the franchise. But this one certainly got me, left me. You know, I guess hungry for more gore. What do you think, Russell?
0: I would absolutely take
1: another Evil Dead.
0: And I'm always for franchises sort of broadening themselves out from their, like, poor starting point. The one that springed to mind was sort of a Deadites in the Mall. So, you know, harking Ooh. back to the mall-based horrors of the 80s, which were, like, alongside the Evil Dead. Have it in there. You have a lot more stuff to play around with. I think that's kind of the key for this is that... Um, Like obviously, one of the icons of this film is the cheese grater, that, um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's just things that those kind of inventive moments where they can be somewhere, and these malicious evil fucks can grab something and use it against you. And I think if you're in a mall with various different kinds of shops, there are a lot of choices there. Though the risk of that is it gets a bit goofy. Um, I don't need to go back to a cabin anytime soon with this franchise because they've done it. They've done it several times. Um, I do like the idea of going through time and space. That's quite a fun one. Like uh, maybe a one set during the time of the witch trials, and it actually turns out the witch trials were in fact deadite based, and so <laughs> that could be fun. Oh, that is a bit of rehabilitation of the witchfinder general, which we don't really want to do, do we? We kind of don't want to get there. Um, deadites, space, deadites space. You could deadites in space. I mean, that is kind of the death metal of all franchises, but. Yeah, you can make it work, or Deadlights on an alien planet, or yeah, they're, they're, yeah, anyone could do this. And I I, I think uh, Lee has directed phenomenally here for someone who thinks this is his second film. And the strengths of this film are performances. And I think a lot of the performances come from a director that gives space for the performance to come out. And yeah, I think the performances here are outstanding. So another director who has some experience in the genre but not a lot I don't need this to become like um uh, like a famous director comes and does this I'm happy for it to be an impressive up and coming director gets the reins and does stuff and keeps it cheap so that no one gets involved like Mm. with this that they basically made it they made it for under 20 million dollars and then enough people saw it and was like hang on a second this will sell and it I understand entirely why this is independent cinemas because it's such an easy sell like I don't know why you wouldn't do this originally in cinemas. Um, yeah, I-, I would gladly see more of this. I gladly see it become a franchise that maybe not every two or three years, maybe, maybe five years, I get a new one. Like maybe not the 10 year gap between the last one and this one, maybe have a five year gap.
1: Uh,
0: I'm always concerned a bit with like IP burnout that we're kind of experienced with some mm-hmm. of our IPs. And I think that to a uh, swing. This to something that is not in, The remotest bit linked to even that. I re watched the uh, first Star Wars prequel the other day, and I'm now watching the second one. I'm halfway through it and I've stopped, and I'm going to carry it on after this. Uh, And the thing with that is that with Star Wars, there was such a long gap. I think it was 16 years between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace. And then there was a really long gap between Revenge of the Sith. And The Force Awakens. But now with Star Wars, there's burnout. Because there's been so much Star Wars. We're getting to the point where we're a bit burnt out through it. And something like The Evil Dead has all this potential. But at the core of it, it'll just be humans versus deadites. And fewer and fewer humans. And maybe one human will survive. Or that the deadites will win. And that's just what The Evil Dead will always be. It'll always be, depending on the setting or the time or the place, it'll still be humans versus delights, and that's what it should be it should always be humans versus delights. it should never like get onto like i don't know the politics of delights because not like, they're evil and
2: monstrous and that's
0: what makes it fun
2: yeah totally. i i um was looking at think trying to think of ideas of who could direct one and i've just latched onto the idea of somewhat uh an Evil Dead film from the directors of Deadstream, Joseph
1: and Vanessa. Winter. <laughs> yes. Oh that's my. It. Do we want a found footage Evil Dead movie?
0: Could work. Yeah. Could Absolutely. Work. I, I and there's a lot of Evil Dead to Deadstream. Like there's the energy of Deadstream is very Evil mm. Dead in a in a really fun way. I guess that's what I kind of wanted to hear was a bit more of that goofiness, a bit more of that kind of like there is a playfulness here, but it's kind of. At odds with how mean this film is Like mm. it doesn't quite for me Find that balance between being goofy and mean And I think the best Evil Dead can be is find that balance
1: mm. Yeah, good point mm-hmm.
0: But it's pretty extreme Oh yeah
1: And well, we should yeah. talk more about extreme cinema Shouldn't we But mm-hmm. before we do that oh, You know what it's time go. for oh, uh, And it's time For some Rotten Tomatoes scores <laughs> as as seems to be the case now, I haven't warned these guys about this, but maybe now they expect it. <laughs> so yes, we're going to do so the uh, Rotten Tomatoes game, um, pinched as uh, from the Sequelizers podcast. Um, for those of you who don't quite know how this works, Rotten Tomatoes is a sort of aggregate site where um, reviews are compiled, and if a film scores over sixty percent, gets um, it's, gets over. Th- if over 60% of the reviews are positive, that is to say 3 out of 5 or 6 out of 10, then the film is rated as being fresh. And Less than that, it's rated as being rotten. It's not particularly definitive. Um, it's certainly not an indication of whether a movie is good or not, but it's quite fun. So what we're going to do is run through the five films of the Evil Dead franchise, and I will ask my fellow potty people what they think the scores are. So to begin with the original, The Evil Dead, from 1981. Russell, what do you think is the score on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie? Uh,
0: I feel it's quite a highly regarded film. Even the fact it was banned over here, I, I think that that kind of won't impact its Rotten Tomato scores because people have watched it retrospectively and loved it. So I'm going to go with 79%. I think there'll be a trench of people who don't like it, but I think it's 79%. 79.
1: Okay. James, what about you? What do you reckon is the Rotten Tomatoes score for the Evil Dead? Um, hmm. Like Russell, I think it's going to be down to
2: retrospective uh, rate reviews that have been added. Um,
1: 83%. 83%. percent Okie dokie. Lovely. Right then, moving on to Evil Dead 2 from 1987. Start with James this time. What do you reckon is the Rotten Tomatoes score for Evil Dead 2?
2: Oh, um, shit. 89%. 89, okay. Russell, what do you reckon?
0: Uh, I'm going to be cheeky and say 90. I think this film is basically beloved and I'm going to say 90 to close James out from anything above that.
1: Interesting. Okay. Unbelievable. <laughs> hey, it's strategy. See see how it plays out. Next up from 1992 we have Army of Darkness or if you prefer Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness which is what <laughs> comes up in the opening credits which is a bit weird. Uh Russell what do you reckon is the score? I think
0: this isn't as highly regarded as Evil Dead 2, but I still think it's it's broadly light. I'm trying to remember. So I said 78% for Evil Dead. I'm going to say this is 76%. 76%,
1: says Russell. What does James say for Army of Darkness?
2: Yeah, I think while people do love this one, um, it's less regarded to its predecessors. I'm going to go with
1: what was Russell's? Russell's was 76. 75. Okay, fair enough. Now then, let's jump forward to 2013 for the film that has no definite article, Evil Dead. What do you think, James? I remember this being quite liked
2: when it came out, but... Oh, I'm not sure. Um, I think I'm going to go with
1: 77%. 77. Lovely. All right. And Russell, what do you reckon? I only go with 69. I think that
0: there are a lot of fans of this film, but I think that uh, maybe more prestige critics weren't fans of this. I, yeah. I remember it being liked, not loved, and I think its estimation has gone up, but I'm still going to stick with 69%. 69.
1: Okay. And now we come right up to date. This is not entirely fair because it's, you know, a movie that's only been out for for, for well, in general release. Only about a week. But Evil Dead rise from 2023. What do you reckon, Russell?
0: Now, this this has been liked a lot. Um, maybe it's the best review of the... Oh, mm, no, I think I undersold Evil Dead 2. Um, I think that this is going to be around 88%. I think that the vast majority... Of, no, hold on. No. Hang on. I'm trying to think if it's dropped since it... opened. I think owned opened at the festival drop dropped slightly. Oh, no, I'll go with 88. I think I'm over shooting, but I'll go
1: 88%. Okay, and what do you reckon, James? For Evil Dead Rise?
2: Mm, it was pretty well regarded, but I don't think I've seen any articles of it like being the best reviewed of the franchise or anything. So,
1: 87%. 87, right. Okay, so to recap, for, well, there we have it. So we'll, we'll now recap and uh, let you know what who actually came out on top here. <laughs> so for the Evil Dead from 1981, Russell said 79% and James said 83%. James is closer Ooh. because the actual score is 85%. So you were both pretty close, but James slightly closer. Evil Dead 2 from 1987, Russell said 90 James said 89. Once again, James is closer because the actual score is 88%. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Oh, Nicely done there. Yes. Uh, Russell, you said you were going to like, um, make sure that James couldn't get you get it any higher, but in doing so you overshot. <laughs> I did.
0: I did. It's often a problem I have.
1: Mm. Next up army of darkness from 1992. Uh, Russell said 76. James said 75. Well, we're seeing a pattern here because the actual score is 69%. So Ooh. you're both overshot, but Russell by slightly more. So, I mean, this. So I mean, we already know the results now, but we'll carry on, see how close it is. Um, for Evil Dead from 2013, Russell said 69% and James said 77. That was the biggest gap between them for the both of you. And actually on this in this occasion. Yes, Russell was closer because the actual score is 63%. Yes. Oh, get a point Indeed. in. Yes, yes, you do. Um, and last but most certainly not least, we have Evil Dead Rise from 2023. Russell said 85, James said 87. And fourth time lucky, <laughs> James was closer because the actual score is 85%. Ooh. So yeah, Russell said eighty-eight. James said eighty-seven and eighty-five. Is, is the that on par with the original? Then it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Interestingly, both the Evil Dead and Evil Dead Rise are on eighty-five percent, and Evil Dead Two is only slightly higher at eighty-eight percent. And Evil Dead from twenty thirteen is the lowest at sixty-three, but even that is not low. So all five mm. of these. Well, that's films still fresh.
0: Like anything fresh. sixty and yeah. over is fresh. So yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I think there's another franchise you could point to that ha- is critically fresh throughout. Yes, that's right.
1: Mm. Yeah, Which is, you know, interesting in and of itself. I mean, I wasn't overly, I i thought Army of Darkness was a bit naff, but hey, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, there's um a set of, one could uh, uh, overall an extremely highly rated franchise. Mm. And speaking mm. of extreme, Russell. Hey there, cutie.
0: You don't look so good, Mom. Nothing a
1: big old hug and kiss from you won't fix. Open up now. Like a good girl.
0: Exactly. We're going to get on to our feature. So uh, cinema has been extreme for most of its gestation period, from an eyeball being sliced by a razor blade to a hidden door swiftly opening to pull a helpless teen in. It's always embraced the horrific, the extreme, the plain nasty. And more than any genre, this is the one that pushes us to our limits as viewers. But maybe maybe there's something in the endurance. Maybe cinema being an act of endurance and exploration of the darker side of the world is one of its charms. And so this episode, we've discussed some pretty extreme stuff. And we're going to talk a bit more about it. We're going to talk about instances where we've reached our cinematic lines, where we have watched something and something in us has been like, oh, no, this is probably slightly too far. I get it, and I never quite know what my lines are going to be. I never know quite know what film is going to be like that I've watched something I probably feel I should have not watched. Um, yeah, so I'll give my first instance, and we'll give one or two or three. How many we want to give? My first one is during the first lockdown. I decided to fill some gaps in my horror knowledge, which. Uh, Meant I watched some masterpieces and I watched a lot of great films. I think it's how I watched Lake Mungo for the first time. It's definitely how I watched The Borderlands. I went through and watched a lot of horror, and in a two-day period, I watched Audition and Martyrs. Audition dear for God those, man. dear God, indeed for Audition for those who haven't seen it is a charming rom com that turns into um, something else. Something else with a lot of stuff of feet, and I'll leave it there. Yeah, Audition is. A wonderful tonal blend that's just starts off uncomfortable and gets dark. Whereas Martyrs starts dark and gets darker and darker and darker until it is the darkest film I've ever seen. It is brutal and unrelenting, starts a home invasion horror and then becomes something else. Uh, yeah, I had a conversation with myself. I was like, you're not doing all right, are you? You need to stop watching these extreme films. So I kind of stepped back from watching them and watching those two films. Back to back was a bit like testing myself out and testing how far I can go, and I probably prefer audition. I think there's more in audition of the cinema I like because I do have a, a. I was a teen at a certain point when there was a lot of extreme uh, Asian horror, when it was Old Boy, and um, Tartan Extreme was a brand of, sadly gone, but Tartan Extreme released DVDs and so a lot of. South Korean, Japanese, and other Indonesian horror made its way onto DVD that way. Whereas Martyrs, I, I admire it. I don't think I like it in the slightest. I don't think I like what it is. I'm not sure I'll ever watch it again. I think there's something there to it. I don't think it's just extremity. I think there's stuff within it, but it is such extreme cinema. It is such brutal violence against women in that film. That's just, it's a lot. Martyrs is a lot. If you've never seen Martyrs, listener, I don't recommend it. But if you're curious, it's it's always there. I told my brother not to watch it, and he watched it twice in a week. Because he was weird. I think it, we we were all going through some weird stuff during those lockdowns. Uh, so that's one of my extreme points. I have
2: a few others in my pocket. But James, what's one of yours? Um. Well, well... <sighs> Following on from your saying about Martyrs, you want to watch again? I've seen it twice in my life, and I think <sighs> I'm at that point where I would watch it a third time. Oh. it—I don't know what it is. It's just a film where it's—it's it's, there. It's you're right. There is something to it. It's and,
0: hypnotic, but it's also,
2: mm, yeah, it's kind of evil. My, yeah, it's something which keeps. Me intrigued to Come back but Give it more than enough time Because Twice in one week That's a lot I don't know what's wrong with him <laughs> I mean I think I'll mention A double bill I had um With it was Before like our third lockdown In 2020 it was like I got to meet up With my horror loving friend who I previously said I watched Evil Dead Rise with. And we've we've watched a lot of horror together, and we've tried dipping our toes further and further into extremities. And I think the biggest point was we did was before like a third friend got off work and came to meet us, we decided to have a double bill, which began with a Serbian film and followed up with my second viewing of Irreversible. Oh, dear God. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. uh, Yeah, there's a reason I left it six years in between watching Irreversible. Um, But I don't know what it was. Part of it was he'd never seen Irreversible and I was like, I left it so long, maybe I could give it another go. And... Because I thought it was a good film But dear god It was a lot (laughs) And yeah we A Serbian film beforehand We heard so much about it And it was one of those Like shall we just bite the bullet And see what it's like And (laughs) I think the version we watched Must have been a UK cut Or something because While it wasn't exactly the easiest watch it did feel like there were bits cut down. Um, but that didn't stop it from being a hellish and dehumanising descent. With Granted, it were, had MTV-style erratic editing, but that didn't stop it <laughs> imprinting, essentially, what I had seen. And I will say, I'll be surprised if I watch that film again, but then... I never thought I'd watch Irreversible again. Um, well, and say... my question for you is: Yeah, so I've, I haven't seen a Serbian
0: film and I'm probably never going to watch it because I yeah. think I've slightly aged out of watching extreme cinema. We have now, I think if I'd been 10, <laughs> 15 years younger, I would definitely be like, Ah, oh, give me all this stuff, give me the guinea pig films. And for mm. those who um, don't know them, don't look up the guinea pig films or the august underground films those are there's like a, a famous meme image of an iceberg of like extreme horror and they're fairly low down on that ranking um so like my question is i've seen irreversible i think there's a really fascinating philosophy to reverse in fact i watched irreversible twice in 24 hours because we studied it in my course and we watched films uh how it was for that unit was we watched them monday uh late afternoon and then watched them first thing tuesday and then have um having had a lecture beforehand of the tuesday one and then we had a seminar sort of wednesday about the film mm-hmm. i don't recommend watching irreversible twice in 24 hours it is an unmitigating brutal way to approach that film you kind of become slightly desensitized and go yeah but maybe there is some beauty in irreversible there is no beauty in irreversible i must stress this i don't believe this anymore um so my question is do you think that something like a, a serbian film is extreme for the sake of being extreme Whereas something like irreversible is more. There's a philosophical argument going on there. Like, do you think there's anything more to a Serbian film than the extremity on the screen?
2: I agree with irreversible. It definitely feels like it's. As particularly, its structure lends it to saying something about particularly relationships and the finiteness of, of like. Life and relationships, and oh, we're getting into cheery stuff today. Um, yeah, a a Serbian film. (sighs) Um, I think there's, I think an element of it is extreme just for the sake of it, and I have heard interesting arguments for the film, particularly from Zobo with a shotgun, who is a mass, does consider the film, one of her favorites.
0: Um, and we but- should say that if you have any interest in not necessarily watching a bit in any more discussions around extreme horror, Zobo with a shotgun is absolutely the person you should go off and check out. I can't remember the name of the podcast they currently have with someone else, but our blood have- obsession. Yes. So they write and they podcast and they talk about extreme cinema Far more eloquently than um, most other people, and mm-hmm. and when I hear them talking about, I'm like maybe I should watch more extreme, cinema. maybe I should delve into this a bit more, and then I pull myself out and go, no, 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 not doing that. Stop it.
2: Yeah, um, I think yeah, I've I've heard arguments for it. I not don't hundred percent buy it myself, but maybe there is something to that. But I'm not sure. I found it
1: more than extreme for the sake of it
0: okay um uh, Vincent what's was your line
1: um well when we decided we were going to do this topic I started um thinking about so what is it that's really you know pushed my buttons um I'll go back to the aforementioned Eden Lake um that uh I in fairly quick succession um some years ago I watched um it wasn't you know a double bill and it wasn't night uh, night after night but it was only within like a, a month or so of each other I saw Eden Lake and wolf creek uh yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, okay. both both of which i think you know maybe curl into a fetal position um yeah be- and they did so because of the inescapable situations of suffering and this complete cruelty um and i also thought i and i've been thinking about others that work that were particularly good um there's the um the justin kurtzel film snowtown which um starts oh, grim gets grimmer and ends up being exceedingly grim. So that's one that definitely kind of moved you. There afterwards, you think, I think I want to take a shower. Um, you already mentioned we've already mentioned audition, which I think which I found very very horrible. Um, although the worst part of that I found was the um, the vomit eating. Um, you've both mentioned uh, martyrs. I feel slightly worried about myself when I say that I saw martyrs and wasn't hugely bothered by it. Which makes me think, oh dear, have I been terribly desensitised? Um, which is interesting. Um, I, in thinking of French extremity, um, inside for me was Ooh. one that really had me going. Yeah, this might just be too much uh, because of its very close depiction of an amateur, anaesthetised caesarean. <laughs> no, thank you. However, I think I did find my limit with a film that we've already mentioned irreversible now irreversible is infamous because it has a very graphic depiction of rape and the point that i realize this was my limit is i'm used to wincing i'm used to sort of you know watching through squinted eyes but the the sexual assault sequence in irreversible had me saying at one point please stop which is of course exactly what any victim of rape would be saying you know before it started now rape is a really difficult sensitive topic and i it is often handled quite clumsily on screen and something that i think is notable is that sex on screen you know including consensual is often depicted as being very quick what we see in irreversible is a distressingly protracted depiction of sexual assault. And I will absolutely take my hat off to director Gaspar Noé because I think he does a very effective job in expressing the situation of rape to viewers. We often mention um on this podcast the that Roger Ebert, film critic, said that cinema is a machine for generating empathy. And my God, did I feel empathy for... um <clears throat> The, uh, the, for the victim um, of the for Monica Bellucci's character's sec- um suffering in Irreversible, I don't think that's a film I need to watch again. I, mean, I only watched it a few days ago, and yeah, that was
0: no. I don't think gerocious. I'll ever return to it. I don't uh, think I'll ever feel the need yeah. to revisit it. Frankly, yeah, exactly.
1: it was. But I think it's a. I think it's an important film, and it is one that does warrant to be seen. But I think I found my line. There are, you know, and it does make me think what, okay. And I think it's interesting to think about what, why do we have these particular lines? You know, what is what do the lines that we have consist of? And I think for me, it relates to empathy and suffering. And if there is a, an expression of suffering, that's where I will really be squirming. And if that's suffering mm-hmm. that is being inflicted through, you know, out and out cruelty, then I'll get even more uncomfortable. So I think about other films that might be along those lines, like I Spit on Your Grave and Revenge, um, possibly The Poughkeepsie Tapes. I'm curious about these, but I am also think I'm going to approach them with great trepidation. Um, hmm. So I don't know if we're recommending films here. No, um, I'm not recommending any films. Or <laughs> maybe if,
0: Audition. If, I think Audition is worth watching. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I will say that these are films to approach with caution Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. one of my personal lines is if a film can trick me into thinking it's real um i have watched texas chainsaw massacre a number of times and it's quite mild compared to the other films we've talked about but i always get a sense the real from that i always get a sense that i'm watching something actually take place and should not be watching it the Last time I watched it was in a screening in a basement club that's now closed in Oxford, but they used to do cult screenings there. And I had to leave fairly early on for five minutes because I was going to throw up and nothing had happened. It's just I was feeling the atmosphere. Uh, Another one of my lines, they're different in the subject matter they're covering, but it's if it's a real-life event being recreated, so... Grave of the Fireflies is an entirely devastating film because it is about the experience of uh, the end of a war or for a losing side from the perspective of children who are slowly starving to death. Uh, Son of Saul is one of the most unmitigating, unpleasant films I've watched because we're following um, an inmate in a um, concentration camp through their final days. I've never seen Come and See, but I think I'd have the same kind of response to that. I think there's certain films that actually capture, and maybe it's moments of war or extreme suffering that has actually taken place, uh, capturing effectively through different mediums. So obviously like something like Grave of the Fireflies is, is an animated film. There's also When the Wind Blows, which is another animated film, but it's about the... A nuclear explosion, a nuclear bomb going off and the impact it has on people. There's obviously threads which I've never watched and I don't know if I will watch, which feels a fairly accurate representation of the final moments. And yeah. I I think there's a fascinating thing to cinema of endurance. And I do think it is one of the strengths of cinema is that it is this wealth of emotions are captured on screen for us to tap into but yeah the films we've talked about the ones i haven't seen i don't want to watch the ones that Mm. i have watched most of them i won't revisit i might revisit audition because again i think audition is a cracking little pulp thriller that's just a bit nasty whereas i think irreversible is uh a lot and Mm. i think martyrs is a lot and uh I mean, in the noughties, it's a fascinating time. So, I, I wrote an article for Moving Pictures Film Club about British naughty cinema, and you bring up Eden Lake. Everyone in the naughties was making films that were nasty and downbeat and cynical and distrusting of the world. And Eden Lake is a perfect example of that. It was made at the same time as Saw and Hostel. And Hostel is, is a line for me, but it's because Hostel is crap. Like, Hostel is just not very pleasant to watch. Um. And like we talked about, Evil Dead Rise today, and the difference between Evil Dead Rise and Hostel is Evil Dead Rise is at least creative and enjoyable in its carnage and destruction, whereas something like Hostel is just unpleasant for me
1: and and dull and yeah, dull stupid. and made by
0: Eli Roth who can't direct for shit. Like Eli Roth is a terrible director, but yeah, <laughs> I,
2: misogynist, bro.
1: Oh yeah,
0: misogynist and, and bullshit. it's bullshit. We haven't really yeah, touched on it, but a lot of extreme cinema is also kind of misogynistic. There's mm. lots of examples. Certainly the Sony video nasties are most of them are trash and are misogynistic and racist trash. We haven't talked about Cannibal Holocaust and I've never seen it, but haven't seen it for a reason. It seems like a film that is in mitigatingly problematic for me and I not enjoy the experience. So yeah. This is
1: kind I, of
2: us talking about it and saying tread carefully.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think one of my lines is the depiction of animal cruelty Same. is that's a big reason why I've put off watching Cannibal Holocaust, despite bizarrely owning a Blu-ray of it. Um, Does it uh, need yeah. a Blu-ray? Um, apparently so. Um, but you bought it. Clearly, there was a there was a demand. <laughs> I buy a lot of shit. So I shouldn't okay. be trusted with money, <laughs> but it's also it's, it's not an extreme film, but. I can't ever watch Paddy Constantine's Tyrannosaur again, but it's one of the bleakest films I've ever seen, and it's particularly what happens with animals in that film just crushes me inside. It's funny how I can happily watch film after film after film of people getting eviscerated so grisly, but when it's an animal, I really struggle, and one of the toughest experiences I watched was um, 1988 film Necromantic, which no. seen Yeah, don't you see that You don't need to see it, I watched it and I felt ill afterwards, it's and what, there's a graphic documentary style sequence involving a graphic a graphic? A rabbit being graphically slaughtered in it and it's I never want to see that again it's it just left me queasy and horrified.
1: Yeah, the sad thing is, I watched Necromantic, um, kind of in preparation for this, and I actually found it really boring. I thought it was, I thought it looked cheap. I, thought well, it boards cheap it looked, but I also thought it was silly. And yeah, I was thoroughly unimpressed. And it's kind of, it is sort of impressive. It was only seventy minutes long and had me going, you know. Get on with it. However, <laughs> I do agree with you. The sequence with the rabbit did make me go, you know what? I think that might have been real. Fuck me. Mm. It was, yeah. Although, yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I mean, active depictions of animal cruelty are, um, especially if there's the, I guess it kind of ties back to what you were saying, Russell, about if something is, you know, that makes you think it's real. I suppose another one that I will, that I might, that I am very, very hesitant to look at is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm, no, I didn't watch mm. that. Mm. And
0: that's, um, I I feel, find yeah. myself in a lot of films now where, like, um because I've watched most of the classics of horror, because I've watched most of, like, the ones that are seen with a great deal of estimation, like, where people think they're masterpieces, I find myself getting closer and closer to the stuff that I'm, like, I could be a completist and I could go watch Henry Portrait of a Killer, but... Life is short, and I would rather go and watch Emperor's New Grief again. For example. <laughs>
1: mm.
0: um, should we leave this here? Should we leave yeah. this... Should, this we pull our, should
1: we pull our extremities <laughs> out of extremity? Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast.
0: James, can you give us a podcasting bath of joy and
2: review something for us? Something that- rubbish maybe (laughs) okay so on my iteration of rodders reviews rubbish i'm talking about a recent release called winnie the pooh blood and honey (laughs) now you may on january 1st 2022 a.a mill's beloved 1926 book winnie the pooh went into public domain for those of you who don't know this means much like dracula sherlock holmes and moby dick these works aren't covered by intellectual property rights. So anybody can use content of those works for whatever purpose they choose. Um for example, if you want if the Muppets wanted to do a version of Dracula or Ren simply wanted to do a Sherlock Holmes thing, they very well could and they wouldn't get into any legal shenanigans. Although it should be noted this doesn't cover what other creators and follow-up novels did. So, for example, with Winnie the Pooh, you got Winnie the Pooh wearing a little red shirt off limits, as is Tigger, because apparently he was introduced in the second book. Mm. So that's a lot of backstory to set the scene for the first example of Winnie the Pooh being in the public domain. Announced rather quickly, you had writer director Reese Frake Waterfield, who <laughs> filmed this in 10 days over April. And Just the idea of this film, the online interest, it expanded what was planned to be a one-night event into a major worldwide theatrical release, which is interesting for a film which you would essentially see in an Asda Poundland bin on on any other day. Um, So the story is... That Christopher Robin befriends a group of talking animal hybrids in 100-acre wood. But time passes on, he grows up, he goes off to college, and his friends are abandoned. So what do Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Owl, and Rabbit do? They eat Eeyore, and this act forces Pooh and Piglet to abandon their humanity and embrace their inner monsters.
0: Can I ask why they don't eat Piglet? He's a pig. He's tastier than a, than a donkey. I
2: He's believe I believe the thing was Eeyore was essentially quote-unquote the weakest. <laughs> okay. <Right>. Survival <laughs> of the fittest. Law of the jungle and all that. <laughs> yeah, so Pooh and Piglet, after eating their friend, they abandon their humanity and decide to embrace their inner monsters. What about an owl and rabbit, you ask? Who cares? They're never mentioned again. Um, so what you have here is an 84 minute film based around the simple idea of
1: the honey loving bear being a serial killer, which as and a premise sounds very, sounds great. You know, I, I'm up for this. However, that's it. that's it.
2: It's an interesting log line. How do you make a film around it? And it feels like they just went, well, that's the entire film. It doesn't carry an, an whole film. I'm afraid. The key thing is it's played way too seriously to be any fun the film feels like a bog standard slasher that's been hastily rewritten to include references to Milne's work because why else would Winnie the Pooh and Piglet stalk young girls and know how to drive a car it's odd but also the victimised characters I'm sorry to say they're hampered They have lackluster characterization, the performances are just not up to par, and they suffer in kill scenes which are lessened because of CGI blood. If you are interested in the film because of the premise, imagine the film you want it to be. That's better than the film it is. Now
1: I'm imagining it, it's it's great.
2: Yes keep that in mind, because you don't need to see this film. However, uh, this was a film made for (laughs) $100,000, and its box office total is $5.2 million. Bloody hell. So, this isn't the last we're going to see of these adult retellings of beloved childhood figures. You know what? They've already announced a sequel to Blood and Honey, but they've also announced Bambi the Reckoning, where he gets revenge after his mother's death, and... Peter Pan's Neverland Nightmare, which I quote, will depict Tinkerbell as an
1: obese drug addict. Are these all coming from like the same studio, the same producers, or is this a bunch of unconnected fuckwits? I believe
0: that the director was a producer on Croc.
1: Oh, I well, think that, that, that this all, is yeah. a
0: creative team that churn out a lot of films. Uh, I ah. think they've only been going since 2021. And I think they've made 30 films in 2021. So So it's the
1: British equivalent of the Asylum Studios, right? Yeah, if you
0: were being generous, you call them the new Tromo,
1: but that's being very generous, I think. (laughs) Hey, maybe we'll get Winnie the Pooh versus Bambi. I think we might. There is plans for that. They (laughs) want to cross over the
2: characters. And Mm. they've even expressed an interest in making horror versions of, and I quote, the Teletubbies 4 and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: It feels I mean, like, they won't be able
0: to make those because those are still... They're
1: still, thankfully, within copyright.
0: Yeah, Which is yeah. not a
1: sentence I thought I'd say. <laughs> That's it. This is.
2: It feels like they had their, that big success and they're like, oh, I want to do this and this and this, but yeah, copyright exists. You think Nickelodeon are going to let Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles go through this um, treatment?
1: No. I mean... Mm. They could, but they could, you meant I think you mentioned Thor, which of course, while there's Marvel's mm-hmm. Thor, there's a if you did a version drawing more from the mythology and didn't do anything that looked remotely like the Marvel Thor, you could do that. Uh oh God. <laughs> because that's what we need, another serial killer with a hammer.
2: Hmm.
0: As long as he says it's hammer's time, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> hmm. I need to make a mental note to end this segment with the bit from The Simpsons where Skinner says copyright expired. That's, let that's me, how I need to end this.
2: Let me just say that um, this film was too much of a financial hit to not get the Bambi, Peter Pan and all that off the ground. But the unfortunate thing is what this film this film, which has been from the director of Firenado and The Killing Tree, I'm afraid it's a film porn parodies look down upon.
0: It's not good. The killing tree. I'm intrigued. What the killing tree is? You've made me curious now. Oh dear. I would.
1: I would suggest it's an, either a. It's one of two things. Either it's about a tree that kills, or it's about a cult that sacrifices people to the tree. So, <laughs> I've just read the premise. Both of which have been done. A
2: scorned widow casts an ancient spell to re- resurrect her executed husband but the spell goes wrong and the husband's brought back as an evil christmas tree getting Jesus revenge Christ. on those
1: who executed him. Hey, I was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, that's that, that's, that, that's Jack Frost but with a tree instead of a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, please Oh, Can we talk about something? Right.
0: Yeah, James, that doesn't sound just... good. Yeah. James,
1: Let's recommend some <laughs>
2: Skinner, The happiest place on earth is a registered Disneyland copyright.
1: Well, gentlemen, it's just a small school
2: carnival. And it's heading for a great big lawsuit. You made a big mistake, Skinner.
1: Well, so did you. You got an ex-Green Beret mad. <gasps> <gasps> <gasps>
2: Copyright expired.
1: Can you recommend something old for us,
2: please? Yeah. Come on, James, <laughs> give us something else we can. Watch. I will happily recommend something infinitely better. So, my we, for our something old, something new, and something not film, my something old is 1977's Martin. Now, this was George A. Romero's fifth feature film which was released. I say that because this was shot after. The once lost the amusement park, which Shudder we re-, oh. re um found and released years ago. So the story of this follows the titular young man, Martin, who believes he is a vampire and he is in the process of moving into the house of his el- elderly cousin named Kuda, who is a superstition a superstitious man who proclaims he will save Martin's soul before destroying him. And what you have is this intriguing take on bloodsuckers which approaches vampirism as a mental illness as you have the titular character, a lonely outsider who struggles to find someone willing to love him but all he gets is his cousin treating him like a vile creature behind closed doors while talking about family curses. And Martin loses himself in these fantasies of escaping his lonely life, imagining he's a Christopher Lee or Bella Lugosi type who is an alluring seductress, despite the fact his actions more resemble a serial killer. And this comes to a head in a tense sequence when a plan home in, planned home invasion goes wrong. And what you have is this haunting tale of loneliness, that, which I think is among Romero's masterpieces. And it's recently been released on 4K, UHD and Blu-ray from Second Sight. And I would strongly recommend getting it if you had an interest, because this is phenomenal stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, Martin's an interesting uh, one, I must say. I, I saw it uh, last year when it came up on the vampire season for the evolution of horror, um, and I found it to be uh, disturbingly intimate and deeply sad. And uh, I think you, what well, you picked up on there, James, about uh, the sort of the central premise, I find I found it quite an effectively ambiguous tale mm. of adolescent confusion and possible vampirism. So, yeah, it was interesting. I have a copy of it somewhere. I should watch it. I,
0: I got a copy when you're at Fright Fest in my goodie bag. It's a particularly good goodie Me bag too. that year. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I should watch it at some point.
2: <laughs> Fun thing is, the past times I've been to Fright Fest twice in person, I got a different copy of Martin.
1: I think I've twice receive, uh, received received um, a, a copy of um, "Prisoners of the Ghostland," which I still haven't mm. watched. Mm. <laughs> it's no Martin. Mm. There we go. Well, what so... is also not Martin is as we'll move on to something new. My recommendation for something new is "Holy Spider." Now, this is currently available to stream on Mubi. I saw it earlier this year in the cinema. This is um, an Iranian film. It's uh, directed by Ali Abassi, who also directed Shelley, Border, and two episodes of The Last of Us, a show that we are all very positive about. It stars Zah Amur Ebrahimi, Arash Ashtiani, and Siela, Siena Parvena. Now, what this film is, it follows a journalist investigating the murders of sex workers in the holy Iranian city of Mashhad. And it is based on a true story of a serial killer who did target sex workers in Machard. So it is pretty it is it is quite close to um, real events. Um I remember mentioning this to my flatmate that I was going to see this movie and it was due to do with a serial killer, and he said, Oh, right, like science of the lambs. And the answer is no. This is a very different um, kettle of fish. Um it is I think because it's got a very sort of um, – not unlike some of the films we were talking about earlier, Holy Spider has a down-to-earth kind of uh, gritty and very na- nastiness to it. I think mean, it's utterly compelling and deeply chilling. And um, I've come up with a new term here. It's new to me. I mean, maybe I'm being pretentious, but, hey, what else is new? It's a social horror, I think, a social horror of dogged investigation of toxic masculinity, and especially this is a film about misogyny, which we mentioned already quite a bit. This is about misogyny that has been weaponized, politicized, and institutionalized. Um, I'll refer back again to the idea of cinema as an empathy machine. I've got no experience of an environment where I am constantly oppressed. The principal reason for that is I'm man. Um, I'm a straight, white, cis male. I don't know what it is to be oppressed. Despite that, I was completely on board with the protagonist of the film, journalist Rahimi, who goes undercover, she speaks to sex workers, and she encounters this institutionalized misogyny. There's a particularly chilling sequence where Rahimi is threatened, not by the killer, but by a police officer. And what's interesting is that this film does a quite sympathetic job with clerics, whom you might not expect to be particularly sympathetic in this scenario in Iran, Now, we probably have all seen the news reports about Iran, uh, about what's been happening, and to see this film in that context made it all the more powerful. Um, But I think what it uh, explores here is that the problems we know about in Iran are not – it's not accurate to describe these being religious. These are not necessarily problems of Islam. These are political problems. And it's notable that this film seriously pissed off the Iranian government – Um, officials have accused the director and star of blasphemy Um, the iranian organization of cinema and Audiovisual affairs called the film shameless obscenity and the director and star have received threats um, and calls for their execution um jesus i know yeah it uh, it, i mean it it is i suppose you could consider it an iranian film because it's about you know an iranian scenario but the director and star they you know the people involved they cannot set foot in iran um and it was filmed in uh, jordan um yeah so it's a really powerful watch um definitely i think it demands to be seen it's a compelling and disturbing piece of cinema and it's also an important cultural commentary um yeah uh that's uh that's my uh uh it, once again i'll say this is a recommendation holy spider but i will say approach with caution it has some um, very unpleasant sequences of murder that are well i mean murder should be presented as unpleasant i suppose but it it's in ways that are quite disturbing so you know i recommend it with caveats
0: it's it's on my list i yeah i missed it in the cinema i had a very limited cinema run yeah but i will watch it before the year is out because it looks like my kind of film it looks fascinating and compelling and dark <laughs>
1: yeah and but it does mm. the thing of managing to present this dark material often quite beautifully um it presents the city of um of mashhad um often in quite quite often in aerial shots where the city uh, uh, with all its lights it looks not unlike a spider's web so you know beautiful but deadly
0: ooh and now it's time for my snaff and i'm going to go as life as i can because we've talked about some heavy dark stuff uh, my snap or something not a film is the tv show extraordinary which is on disney plus Uh, which is a delightful tv show that launched in january Uh, there's going to be eight episodes it's going to be a, a second series this follows a uh 25 it's a it's set in a world where everyone has superpowers and yes i know you're probably fatigued with superhero films as much as i am but this does it in a comedic way and our hero doesn't have superpowers and that is the running thing through this show is she doesn't have superpowers and is surrounded by people who do. It is light and funny and reminded me of sort of the kind of comedies we got a lot more on Channel 4 and E4, like five or six or seven mm-hmm. years ago. So it's sort of Friday night dinners or there's a bit of a hint of the in-betweeners and Derry Girls to it. It has some crass humour. One of the characters she comes into contact with makes people come when he touches them, which sounds oh great, God. but isn't great. And uh yeah, all this is done uh with warmth and hilarity. And there's some great supporting actors in it. It's it's a wonderful TV show. I watched it very quickly, it has a great soundtrack. There is a song from it that is from the 70s but it sounds like it's from today that I have listened to most days because this show it is warm and inviting and does this wonderful thing where every episode is sort of a power of the week. So it's, you come into contact with someone, for example, like a vet who can talk to animals, which is as terrible as it sounds like the animals can tell you much. They hate it, but they've got to go to him to go talk to a cat who turns out to be an asshole. So there's things like that. And so there's always a power of the week, but it's this kind of like overarching narrative that keeps getting pushed forward effectively. Yeah. I love extraordinary. It is my favorite comedy for a long time. It is warm and hilarious, and uh, really easy to watch. And in spite of being about superpowers, uses it effectively. It doesn't. It, the thing that I think's been lost with a lot of superhero films for me is that kind of personal experience having superpowers. That kind of like <clears throat> ground level, what it's like to have superpowers. I'm always reminded of the Amazing Spider-Man two. Not a great film, but it did have a great sequence of Peter Parker opening his closet repeatedly and putting his like costume that had been destroyed or ripped or burnt in. And it was just different things. And he'd had a different fight each day. And this very effectively captures that kind of human level, what it is to have superpowers and what is it to have, you know, not great superpowers. Like the, the character's boss is trapped in the body of a 13 year old girl and she's 56, 57. And that's just her superpower is she's stuck as this little girl and she runs this costume shop and she swears. And, it's done very effectively. Yeah, this is a great TV show. It's on Disney Plus. We all bow down to the majesty of Disney Plus fairly regularly <laughs> on this show, and it's a lot of fun. And it'll be back. And yeah, I heartily recommend it. And it's a lot lighter than anything else we've covered this episode. <laughs> uh, this I paired this with. I forget. I was watching something else at the time, and so I'd pair this with that. And that was dark, and this is light. So yeah, if you. Must watch the dark films we've talked about, have an episode of Extraordinary alongside it, and
1: you'll be maybe fine. Contrast, balance, it's all contrast and these are man- all important, perfectly balanced.
2: That gives me um, vibes of the E4 show Misfits a bit. Yeah, yeah. It, is a bit, it is a bit misfitsy. It's not quite mm. as, um,
0: I watched every okay. episode of Misfits, mm. I loved Misfits, even when it replaced all the characters with other characters. Yeah. I still watched them all. Misfits is a bit spiky and nasty and um this does isn't particularly nasty at all it's probably closest to something like Derry Girls with superpowers and yep. the nun from Derry Girls is in this as the lead character's mum and she is great
2: yeah i love
1: this so one. she's the so she's pressure. gone from so she's gone from being sister to mother <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah would you say your greatest weakness is
2: crippling insecurity selfish and a lazy I lack ambition argumentative jealous i only wash my hands after someone else in the bathroom
1: i don't know why i told you that it's my thing i see you haven't got your power down on here that's because i don't have one yet
0: so yeah so a bit of a heavy episode for us we've got to mm. say we've got into some dark territory uh, if you came along the journey with us thank you but you and can't hear sorry. this if you've turned off, we can't hear this, but yeah, if people turned off, we so entirely because yeah, a heavy, heavy show. We'll find something lighter next time. But before that point, uh, James, where can people find you? What have you got coming up?
2: Well, if you want to, if you want to follow me, I'm not this dark on social media. Don't worry. So I'm on social media at Rodders J 04. That's spelled with two Ds. Um, Um, I also write reviews, put podcast appearances, articles and all that on my site, reviewingrodders.co.uk. So, yeah, come check it out. And Vincent, where can we find you
1: for less depressing conversations? Well, you can find me by reciting the following incantation. D-R-G-A-I-N-E. Recite that correctly on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Uh, doc and you will find Dr Gain and that will where uh, and that's where I provide links to um, the reviews that I write for um uh, for the geek show and the critical movie critics, um, as well as my other podcast appearances of which there are quite a few. Um, but most importantly when you enter Dr Gain in there it will provide the necessary measures for me to eat your soul <laughs> Russell how if I wanted to um <clears throat> steadily you know, crawl inside, uh, cut open your body, crawl inside it so that we could all be together forever. What would be the best way to do that?
0: Oh, Please don't, but if you really must, come find <laughs> me on, um, you can find me on social media whilst Twitter is still active. It's uh, Russ Loves Movies. Uh, there I post any podcast appearances I have or any um, articles I write. Recent podcast appearances include uh, Talking About The King, which no one has seen on Is Paul Dano Okay? It's a charming incest drama from the mid <laughs> yeah, Uh that I oh, yeah. had, I was one of the few people who've seen it and was like, I've seen this and they invited me on um, or I'm on Fundamentals talking about Naughty Dog, the not my dog, the the claiming company behind Crash Bandicoot, Ratchet & Clank, uh, Uncharted and then The Last of Us and soon I'll be popping up on Uh, journey through sci-fi podcast talking about um, the he-man film master of the universe and the transformers film from the 80s oh my and i'm going to be on the cajun podcast talking about (laughs) the first prequel for star wars i'm getting around
1: Mm, and if
0: you want my actual podcast the the one i do week in week out it is the not just for kids podcast we are mostly doing modern animation though we're taking a slight break and I will be releasing some Batman episodes I recorded, I think two years ago now, that I re- I've i never released in the main feed because I'm taking a slight break because I'm a bit busy, but you can still listen to some fabulous Batman chats, including one each from you two. You both came and did those chats, and those will be on the main feed in May. Uh, yeah, so come find me, and you'll hear lots
1: of, lots of nonsense from me. <laughs> <laughs> nonsense. There is no nonsense. It's all good stuff. <laughs>
0: But until next time, um, maybe only watch one of the films we've talked about in our extreme section. Maybe pick just one and watch that and you'll be fine. Don't do what many of us have done, which is double bills or multiple days of watching horrible, depressing films. Um, But yeah, stay safe, watch fabulous films. uh, And it's getting sunny out. Well, it's a bit cold. Yeah, it's getting sunny out. So enjoy that and we'll see you next month.